Blog Talk Radio. NYPA, it's time to sort the show, so search for the squad and listen out for the promo with the West Wild Spitter Spinners weather to a chokehold. Collins Oak coverage on the corner, make it unfold. Five o'clock, who gives a damn with your man and say we spitting live wireless, leave him shot with the gamma rate. Ain't no runner up, cause it ain't the closest to candidates. I block the deep and you draw like Japanese animated. It's just us and the rest, news off the hottest press. Dope from the boogie down, Kyle Houghton, Philly West. Reppin' with the legends, classic in the few second politics. Sports segment, live phone, call up with question. It's the NYPA, 95 Connection, real people. Ain't no stripping cute call for directions. Just team on the grind time till it's all perfection. Throw it past the satellite so you can catch reception. So touch ground with us, we kill challenges. A murder it for every number on your calendars. From west to the boogie down the greyhound in this. We Google spot, anchor podcast pockets. Welcome to NYPA Entertainment Radio live here on Blog Talk. Uh, thank you for joining the show, Colin Alonzo, broadcasting simultaneously from the Bronx and West Philadelphia. Um, got a lot of stuff to get into at the top of the second hour. We do have a, go- a guest calling in. Musical artist Jeremiah Hosea is calling in live here. Um, talk about his new track, his new project. Um, the latest single, Love is the Highest Truth, which is, we like instruments. So you like instruments. Music and singing, it, yeah, I like that, John. That's I listened to it a couple of times. It's good. So he's calling in top of the second hour, six o'clock. Uh, if you listen to the show live right now, Jeremiah Hosea here at NYPA and Tim Radio. Um, stay tuned for that. Until then, we'll get into some stuff. As a reminder, next month, uh, season ten, September twentieth, season ten premiere of NYP Entertainment Radio. Um, new music playlist, it won't happen at the beginning. It will happen that that day of on of the season premiere. So it'll be like mid, mid like right near the end of September when we do it. But even on that day, we we'll hear too much of it because it will be too much of a celebration for the show. But you'll get a snippet of it. And then the following week, of course, you hear back to our regular format of everything. But as every year, as we do that one day out of the year, it's about the show and then thanking you guys um, for another year in this particular situation, uh, 10 years, a milestone, a decade. So very excited about that. Got some stuff I'm working on, um, announcements and so forth, little surprises that we're working hard on behind the scenes. So I got for the 10th season um, for the, state of the show and the future of it and so forth. New music playlist is going to be, I'm going to amp it up a little bit. I'm going to add some stuff to that. should be good. So that first show of the season, because not just your normal first show of the season, it's 10 years and pretty much very excited about that. Um, so stick around for that as we get closer to September 20th. Um, and as always, we got music. We started the August. New music playlist last week, so we're going to play that this week. Sprinkled in a little bit from the last musical uh, music playlist. Um, 
so fun times all around, and hopefully you are listening to the live, uh, show live as we as we are recording it live. Um, you can call in 516-387-1961, 516-387-1961, call in, um, and uh, just join in on the conversation. Um, talk to our special guest coming on at 6 o'clock, uh, Jeremiah Hosea, and uh, talk to us. So, like I said, we appreciate you listening to it in general. More fun you listen to it live. And if you can't catch this live as it's happening for whatever reason, again, you have Anchor, you have Apple, Google, Spotify, Breaker, Radio Public, Stitcher, CastBot, PocketCast, Overcast, Alexa, and so forth to listen to NYPA Entertainment Radio. So share, subscribe, comment, uh, give us a five-star rating, you know, give us a five-star rating, be biased. If you think we're doing a good job, five-star rating. Um, and just like I said, pass it on. We're gonna get started. Sports is in full swing. Mm-hmm. Um, baseball is finding their way. Hockey is picked up. Basketball is getting closer to the playoffs, and and then basketball, which I've been doing a pretty good job in terms of cutting everything down on any um, uh, effects, uh, anyone catching the COVID, they being in the bubble. Um, Milwaukee clinch, LA clinch. So they're they're picking up where they left off. It's a little weird in the beginning. Watching yeah. basketball season in the summertime with no audience and without a fan and without a fan, but they're doing their best. But they're piping in music and stuff in the background, like they're doing at baseball games, and they're putting virtual fans around, and then the baseball games are putting cutouts <laughs> or whatever. You got to do what you got to do. Um, and even in the baseball, they, they're piping in sounds and stuff, so it won't be just like dead. And with the basketball, yeah, they're doing yeah, the same yeah. thing. And you're just kind of just adjusting to it. And it's the new norm as of right now. And it's kind of like, all right, I'm already used to it now because it is what it is. Um, and everyone's playing ball. They're playing uh, basketball, getting ready for the playoffs, and, and just trying to get some normalcy going. And it's that's what it is. Again, it's a little weird. It was a little weird. Now I'm kind of getting used to it because it's just like, wow, ball, you know, outside of summer league, Watching like basketball outside the Olympics during the summertime, it's just weird. And like I said, in in a neutral place <clears throat> where there's like no fans at all, it just got virtual stuff. So the NBA and other sports people yeah. are trying to try to you know fill that void in because stuff like that we don't think about it. Like, damn, you really do need the fans. You do need us there. It gives a good atmosphere, cheering, booing, or whatever the case may be. So. um I can't get used it's to been it. A, um, it's been bittersweet. I've been missing basketball like crazy. And um, mm-hmm. fighting, vying for the, for the playoffs and stuff. And Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it, 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 yeah. it's weird. But everything, everything is weird now. Everything is weird. Everything is for weird. For me, I can't get used we to have, it. I, I'm, I'm, I just can't get into it, you know. The, I, I love my basketball. You know, I've been playing it most of my life, you know, and I just can't get into it because it's not the same without the crowd in the background, you know. They're doing their best with what they have right now. And, you know, I I haven't even watched it since they started back up, um, to be honest with you. I, I haven't. You know, I saw mm-hmm. a couple of, you know, replays here and there, you know, clippings, and it's just not the same. And it just looks really 
funny to see cardboard cutouts on some of the, you know, like I believe it was in baseball they had cardboard cutouts. Mm-hmm. It just looked weird to see that, <laughs> you know, when you're accustomed to seeing live people. Yeah, so it's, 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 it's not the same. It's this is how it's going to be going forward. I, I'm I'm kind of curious yeah. to see then how they're going to do football. Um, that's something mm-hmm. that's that's another thing. But this is this is what's going on. You got to walk around with a mask. You got to social distance. You got to do this is mm-hmm. for ongoing until whenever. So it's one of those things like um, adjust this, adjusting to it because it's not going to. It's not fans are not coming back anytime soon. Anytime soon. No. Um and um yeah, it, it, it's it's a, it's a, it's an interesting it's just interesting thing. But it's in a way it's kinda working within the bubble side of things. No one came back uh, affected and you know, um and for me I'm watching it because I do got a dog in a hunt. My team is at least right in the contention for running the playoffs, a little banged up with Ben Simmons going down, but that's something that's keeping my interest because I want to see where my team is going to play going forward in the playoffs. So that's, that's kind of cool. And the, the, the match, like the finals going into October, which is another thing, which is weird. And then the season starts up again in December. That's a whole nother thing. Mm-hmm. It's just, everything is just weird. It's just weird, but this is what it is, folks. It's the new norm. It's what's going on. And it's one of the things like just adjusting to it the best way possible. Um, because from what you're saying, it just sounds like it, Fans are not really coming back anytime soon. So that's just, right. you know. Um, another thing that fans probably may, won't be a part of, but probably have some fans around, will be in September, obviously, uh, the Roy Jones Jr. and uh, Iron Mike Tyson oh, fight. Gosh. Roy Jones mm-hmm. Jr. Ensures, ears ahead, uh, ensures, ensures ears ahead of Mike Tyson comeback fights. So Roy Jones had reportedly ensured his ears ready for his highly anticipated comeback fight against Mike Tyson in September. Tyson infamously bit a chunk of a chunk off Ivana Holyfield's ear uh, back in uh, 97. With the world edging closer to the highly anticipated return of Mike Tyson and his opponent, Roy Jones Jr., more stories of their preparations uh, should start to come out. Again, one particular um, story, though, is a surprise while also being completely right that Jones Jr. was insuring his ears. So, <laughs> according to according to a news outlet, Jones Jr. manager um, Salt Berna says he deems it necessary to ensure against quote a possible extraordinary case of Tyson chomping down an ear once uh, ear once again. Barna is anticipating a repeat of Tyson's. Shameful actions all those years ago against Holyfield. Tyson definitely bit, you know, again, bit off the chunk of his ear in 97, was promptly disqualified after the incident. Tyson and Holyfield have settled the differences since and are now good pals as they both embark on boxing comebacks. And it is an eight round exhibition bout that will take place in California. Both of the fighters have been told not to go for knockout wins. But Tyson has other ideas. When asked if he will be hunting for a KO, Tyson told TMZ, "If the opportunity comes, I'm look. I'm always looking for it." What do you think of Roy Jones Jr. new insurance policy? Um, let me back up. There's a lot, a lot to unpack here. First, is no. 
it's no surprise that he's going to look for it. Uh, it was said on the show a couple of weeks back when it came up. Um, that's mentioned neither one of them um, try to knock each other out. They are trained right. warriors. They're trained right. to knock to knock to knock people out. It's it's hard to yep. train someone when they see an opening. They're going to go for it. That's what they're trained to do. You don't stop me saying, say, "Oops, can't knock them out." I better I better just yeah. do that. That's not how it happens. That's not how it happens. No. That's like that's like telling a, a basketball player that he's up in the air and like to slam dunk. Telling the like, oh, don't dunk. He just got to gently drop the ball in. No, that's what they're trained to do. They're trained to knock people out. That's the whole purpose of boxing it's is to happen. knock your opponent out. That's it. Yep. That's the whole purpose. That's what boxing is about, yep. knocking that opponent out. Yep. Um, Dropping in, terms of ins- in terms of ensuring – if this is a true story, putting insurance on his ears, I think that's stupid. I, again, I don't think Tyson, he's much older. He's an adult now, more mature. He's not that person. I don't see him really doing it. Um, I think that's ludicrous, quite frankly, this is one of his words, um, to even do that. I don't really see him really not necessary to, to do it. But if this is a true story and he really did do it, then all right, whatever. Whatever works for you, whatever, whatever helps you sleep at night, then go for it. I don't think he's going to try for it. What I do think he's going to try for is that knockout punch. I think both of them are going to try to knock each other. Of course. What do you think? Of course. Mm -hmm. I I honestly believe that that's going to happen because it's a natural instinct. That's like, you know, Mm -hmm. again, you in the wildlife, you've got a lion out there, and you have a, um, let's just say, um, a wild hog out there. So it's a natural instinct for that lion to go for that kill. It's a natural mm-hmm. instinct. Now, you put two fighters up in there and to tell them that they can't, you know, go for the knockout, that's going to be a natural instinct. They're going to get in there, and they're going to get into this fight, and they're going to see that opening. They're going to forget about what they say about you can't knock that person out. They're going to hit that person. That person may fall. That person mm-hmm. may drop. That's going to be almost impossible mm-hmm. for them to not go for that opening if they see it. You know, and and, yeah. and and that insurance on the ear, I mean, come on. I mean, you know, they, they need to get over that. You know, that's something Mike Tyson was a, a different person then. You know, he was going through a lot of, you know, demons in his head that he was going through back then that, you know, created that. He's at a better place now. I don't think that he's going to go for an ear again. You know, he needs to stop that. No, you know, no, if that is so true. Uh, he, he's not going to go. He's not going to do that. No, that, 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 yeah, I, I don't think that's – I think that's a bullshit story. And if it is true, you guys get over yourself, like I said. I don't see him doing it. But I do see them trying to knock each other out. I think that's a stupid rule to, to in place for any boxer, former boxer, current, whatever. This is what they're trained to do. They're trained mm-hmm. to hunt. Knock out and get like that's that's what they do. Like you can't you can't rewire them in a short amount of months not to do that. It's a natural instinct. Even if, even if they go, go in there and they're and they're tender, like I'm gonna have fun. I'm not gonna do it. It's a it's already ingrained. Like natural instinct, second nature. You see a wide open, like a wide open. Like damn, I got a fight. Like you think like come on. Like if 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 either Roy leaves himself wide open or Tyson leaves himself wide open. 
you don't think they're not going to take the opportunity to knock that person out. <laughs> That's a, a mm-hmm. natural mechanism that goes off like he's open. Bam! You just hit him. That's it. That's, that's what boxing is about. So I think that rule is going to be shattered. Um, I, I think both of us are going to ignore the rules and do it as they should, because we're not we're not going to, we're not here to see a pillow fight. You know what I mean? We're here to see a boxing no. match, eight rounds. We're not here to see eight rounds of tag of them gently tagging each other for eight rounds. Especially if you're paying money to see it on pay per view. You here to see somebody get effed up, get effed up, you know, effed up big time. Yeah. That's what boxing yeah. is. It's a brutal sport. It's a gladiators, it's titans, it's people one on one. Not there to throw pillows and feathers at each other. They're there to hurt each other. That's just what it is. That's the name of the sport. That's the name of the game. It's a deadly sport. Period. And, and boxing is, and, and, is a and, deadly sport. And also, I mean, even if they don't go for the you know, the knockout, you know, as via punching the head, I mean a body shot mm-hmm. could drop a person. That's true. So you're going to say that they can't hit full-blown in the body either? Mm-hmm. You've seen many yes. people, you and I both watch boxing for years, and mm-hmm. we've seen many times where a person um, had a 10-count knocked out from a body blow. Yeah. From a body blow. <laughs> so what is, what's going to happen is, if that happens, if he hits him and he drops him from a body blow, are they going to disqualify right. him because he knocked him out? Right. You might as well not have it at all. You might as well not have it at all. It's it's a stupid rule to and um to um to put in there and like I said, they're gonna ignore it anyway, so I already know that's gonna happen. They're already gonna ignore it. Period. So mm-hmm. um September twelfth, we'll find out which is not to a month from now, which will be here before you know it. The time is moving fast. Next month that should be very interesting, it should be a lot of fun. Uh, one more thing in sports, there's a lot of things that are going on in this week in sports. The winner, Rock Johnson, is part of a team buying XFL for $15 million. Dwayne Johnson is teaming yeah. up with his ex-wife and his top sports management company to buy the bankrupt XFL football league for $15 million. Johnson, a former WWE wrestler who, who has since become one of Hollywood's most bankable action heroes, uh, and, and the partners are purchasing the asset of XFL from Alpha Entertainment. A private company founded by WWE Chairman and CEO Vince McMahon. Alpha filed for bankruptcy in April after Indian XFL season early because of the COVID pandemic. It was especially it was especially poor timing for XFL, which was founded as an NFL alternative by WWE, um, then known as WWF in 2000. The league the league played only one season in 01, despite a partnership with co-owner NBC. And the 2020 season um, was meant to be its grand return to action. But even though that episode didn't score a financial ratings touchdown back then, some fans still have hope for a new football league that, that could challenge the NFL. That spurred the, decision, that spurred the decision to launch the second iteration of the XFL earlier this, e- this year. Uh, featuring eight teams, a shorter play clock, new rules designed uh, to both speed up the game and make it safer at uh, at a time when NFL has come under fire for rash player co- concussions, Johnson's dis- decision to make to take part in the group to buy the XFL was rooted deeply in two things: quote, my passion for the game and my desire to always take care of the fans. According to a statement, he added that he looks forward to quote creating something special for the players, fans, and everyone involved for the love of football. 
A bankruptcy court still needs to approve the deal at a hearing on which already happened August 7th. If that happens, the purchase should be completed by the end of the month. Johnson partnered with Danny Garcia, a film producer who was married to Johnson more than 10 years before they divorced in 07, as well as Redbird Capital, a company founded by former Goldman Sachs partner Jerry Cardinal. Garcia and Johnson co-founded Seven Bucks Productions, and she is listed as a producer of several of Johnson's top top hits, including uh, Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle, Jumanji the Sequel, uh, The Next Level, Rampage, Fast and Furious, Prison um, Hobbs and Shaw, and the HBO sports comedy Ballers. Sports and entertainment are the foundation of the business I have built, Garcia said in a statement, melded our expertise combined with our commitment to deliver exciting and inspiring unique content has us all focusing on developing the XFL brand into a multimedia experience that our athletes, partners, and fans will proudly embrace and love. Um, and it goes on from there. This is out of a page, which is kind of weird when this happens. They got on the page from his TV show Ballers, which was interesting. Now, I like the show mm-hmm. Ballers, if anyone's familiar with it. Um, his character pretty much didn't say bought the Kansas City Chiefs um, and Ballers to make things better for the fans and the players and so forth. And I kind of like the idea because with his name attached to it, I think he's going to put another spin on it. Um, I right. think he wouldn't buy it if he knew it was profitable. He, see, he, he, Wayne Johnson, uh, along with his business partners, I felt as though making this movie, he wouldn't bought it unless it was profitable, unless he seen a vision where they could, an avenue where they could uh, promote this league um, and have it as an alternative for those who either can't make the NFL or not in the NFL or, you know, left the NFL or trying to go, whatever the case may be, is there. And I think with his fingerprints on it, his vision, I think it'll become off a little more successful because, quite frankly, everything he's been touching lately, oh, well, so. television and films, has been platinum. Like he he got the mm-hmm. he got the platinum touch. So it's like he is doing a hot streak. His like shows he hosts and TV shows like it's just he's white heat right now. So why not? Why not go for this? Put his t- you know he yeah. knows football. His first always has been football. So why not? So I mm-hmm. think. Once everything clears up paper-wise, we see where we're going in 21 with the pandemic and all that, it'll find a home. And I think, I think it ha- in my opinion, have great success with it. Um, I think it should be cool. I think it would be cool yeah. with, them, with them behind the helm. I think it, it would be awesome. I, I hope so, especially to shut up some of the critics out there because they're, um, I've, I've also um, – you know, heard about this as as well, but then I've heard some of the critics out there who is pretty much saying that this is not going to be a success. It's not, he's not going to be successful at this, you know, that this is going to be a failure at it, you know? So uh, I'm, I'm hoping that this is a major success and, and all them critics are, uh, you know, look stupid in the end. So, um, you know, like you said that everything that he put his hands on, it's been a success. So, Hopefully that this is one of them that he adds it to his um his resume as a success. Listen, he he you you have a minority owner. He's uh ha- mm-hmm. African American and Samoan, and why not go for it? You know what I mean. So yep. a lot of it could be because again, I I like to pull this card. Yeah, he's a minority. Um, 
mm-hmm. you'll realize Rock is half yeah. African American, half Samoan. Father, late great soul man Rocky Johnson, who broke barriers in the 70s and 80s, and wrestling, uh, who paved the way for a lot of other African Americans, along with Ernie Ladd and so forth. You know, he come in like got his partners. Like, let's do this. I'm gonna buy this league, and yeah. I think he has a lot to prove, and I think he knows that. And it failed twice. So, knowing, I think knowing his mentality on how he wants to prove a point, I think he want, he's going to, as he would say, turn that son of a bitch sideways, stick it up that candy ass. And I think he's going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> and later, smack down on him. And I think it's going to be successful. Can't wait to see how he's going to kind of just, you know, shine it up a little bit and tweak it. And I think also waiting to, once again, like I said, come 21, how we're going to get fans back, not just in sports, but everywhere else. So once it's, hopefully this pandemic clears up. So I think a lot of it is waiting on how to get the fans back because the fans are key. Going back to what we were saying earlier, we started the show. The fans are key to everything, concerts, sports, talk shows, whatever. The, can't, the fans are key. So I think a lot of it is going to wait to see how it clears up, how everything turns around in 21 and bringing the fans in. So that, so it's a lot of that we kind of got to wait on. So there might be push on pause, which gives him enough time to kind of do what he got to do in terms of putting teams together and so forth. So that should be exciting come in year 21. And uh, hopefully we'll be back in full force and having fans come out and enjoy sports and movies and so forth and so on. So, all right. So enough of that. We're going to play some music back. Got some stuff to get into. Remember top of the hour, uh, music visit, uh, musical artist, easy for me to say. Jeremiah Hosea is calling in live here at 6 o'clock East Coast time. Um, you know, NYPA Entertainment Radio. Uh, but we got some music. Stick around, sit back, and bring it back.
not to run to the mill, cause for the mill I don't run. Yes, yes, y'all, you don't stop. Yes, yes, y'all. You don't stop. KRS-One, rock on. Yeah. 
vocabulary like you're addicted to it. It speaks right up and takes you right out, 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 out. So, for future reference, remember, it's all right to like or want a material item, but when you fall in love with it and you start scheming and carrying on for it, just remember,
Second hour, uh, Jeremiah Hosea should be calling in live. Until then, Joe, what do you want to get into? 
Uh, I found an article on HuffPost um, written by Jenna uh, Amatali, Amatuli. Uh, well, <clears throat> in the article is that Zoe, Zoe Saldana um, tearfully apologized mm-hmm. for playing Nina Simone in 2060 biopic. The 40-year-old actor says she should have tried everything in, um, it's in quote, should have tried everything in my power to cast a black woman to play the an exceptionally perfect black woman. Um, Zoe Saldana <clears throat> said that she should have never portrayed Nina Simone. Um, um, the 42-year-old actor talked um, to Posse creator Stephen uh, Canals uh, earlier this week on Instagram about Afro-Latina um, culture and um, colorism as part of that con- uh, conversation. Saldana talked candidly about um, her role as singer-songwriter. In quote, I should have never played Nina. I should have done everything in my power with the leverage that I had 10 years ago, which was a different leverage. But it was leverage nonetheless, um, said the uh, Avatar star. I should have tried everything in my power to cast a black woman to play an essentially perfect black woman. Saldana, who is a Dominican and and Puerto Rican descent, uh, was widely criticized for being cast as Simone with many suggestions she should have. She was too light-skinned to portray the famed musician. The star ultimately darkened her skin for the role and also wore a prosthetic um, on her nose. In addition um, to criticism from the public, Simone Estate spoke out against Saldana ahead of the film um, film's release and, and implored her to um, take Nina's name out your mouth uh, for the rest of your life. Director Cynthia um, most later defended her casting of Saldana in the interview with um, BuzzFeed and insisted that Saldana's um, talent was what made um, her cast the actor in the film. There's other female black um, talents out there. But anyway, um, certainly... I would not have cast Zoe um, if I felt she was wrong for the role in a million years. <clears throat> most two BuzzFeed, um, most told, um, more told BuzzFeed in 2016, Zoe's, um, Zoe's amazing. She's amazing in the movie. She gave her all. She's honest. She's courageous. She's fierce. Um, my take on this, um, If I remember, um, Dominican, Puerto Rican is still considered you know, African Americans, right? Am I right or wrong? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I mean, you know, I, I understand where people are going, you know, that she's lighter, Nina was darker, Nina had a wider nose, um, Zoe had a smaller no nose. But People have done that for years. I mean, look like um, Eddie Murphy played many characters in his movies. Um, so did many other people. I don't see what was such a big deal about it. You know, she's an actor. They cast her for it to make money. If it was you, you were Zoe Saldana. And they cast you to play Nina. Simone, and they offer you, uh, you know, a large sum of money to play it. 
would you turn it down or would you go take it? Well, I'm, 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 there's a there's a lot to unpack here. Um, mm-hmm. I don't. I've never seen the movie. I never seen it. I didn't even know I when it came out. I knew she. I knew she was up for it, but I never didn't really. I didn't know it ever came out. So I would want to see it first to see how she she's portrayed. But I do recall it was brought up on the show about them making a movie, and at the time, Mary J. Blige was one of the actresses that was brought up to. Um, portray Nina Simone because she could sing and so forth and so on. That was one of the names. Right. And I do remember saying that might be a good look because right, you got the double combination and so forth. And it did come up because Nina, um, Nina Simone, Zoe Zadana is not African American. She's Dominican and Puerto Rican, despite what people think she's not African American. She's whatever. Um, I have to see it myself, first and foremost, to see how her her performance was number one. Number two, um, okay. How can I say this? Let's not start crying and complain and start saying I'm sorry ten years after the fact. Number one, because mm-hmm. I'm going both ways with this. Number one, nothing was done wrong. I don't know why you feel as though you did, you did something wrong. Number one, number two. Right. Again, I don't even think many people have seen this film. Quite frankly, I don't think people realize. I haven't seen it. I didn't even know it was out. To be honest with you, I didn't know. I didn't know it's been ten years. Last time I heard was in talks. Then I heard different, multiple different Nina Simone films were being made, and I didn't know it came out. So, like I said, if she was, if like if she was the most talented person out of the audition that they auditioned to play it, then then okay. And sometimes you got to do make alter you have to make alterations to that person's feature to fit that. If it means a bigger nose and so forth, then you got to do it. Slimmer nose, then, then so be it. Um, I don't I, like I said. I don't know why she's crying and whimpering on camera. Like, what are you sorry about? If you felt that bad, then why did you take the role? If you knew you felt that bad, why did you? You could have turned it down. People have turned down lots of money for many different reasons and lived to tell the tale. And what have you. So if you really felt that bad, you should have turned it down 10 years ago. So you need to say it now. It's already well, done. Well, it wasn't 10 years ago. Was, um, yeah, I guess so. You know, I guess they offered her the role ago. in 10 years, but the movie came out in 2016. Right. They offered it 10, 10 years ago and or whatever, and she took it. If you felt that bad or you knew you, you felt, well, why did you take it? That's number one. You could have turned it down. But like I said, like I said, it's neither here or there. I didn't even know the thing came out. I had no idea it came out. I didn't see any well, nothing on cable, nothing on streaming or anything like that. I would like to see her performance to say something, but I don't think what, I don't know what the big deal is. You took you, I don't know, I really don't see the big deal is overall. She did it. You took she took it. the role. You know, just hold up to it. Don't don't worry about what critics talk about it. If they talk about it, so be it. But Let them talk. Yeah, but I'm sure that if it was them, I'm, I'm honestly sure if it was one of them and they would offer that role and they looked nothing like it, they would have taken it. They would have done it. Now, you, you, you do have to, yeah, you don't have to look exactly like the person. You get the alteration. I got to see, I just got to see the movie itself. I just want to see. And then I'm like, all right, she did a horrible job. I don't, you know, the whole, like I said, I don't know. No one's seen it. I don't know how to ask the reference if anyone's seen this movie. I have to ask because I haven't seen no 
nothing anywhere in the past four years that he just said no. it was 2016 no. it's 2020 I'm nowhere for me to kind of look at it so I don't want to say it's a horrible movie she did a horrible job I haven't seen it I don't know but don't start boohooing and crying about it four years later if you felt uncomfortable doing this shit you should have took the film to begin with if you mm-hmm. felt that way and then like I said I got to see it first to kind of fully go in but they're crying and all that stuff. Like, oh, I shouldn't have took it. I, I, I did this. I shouldn't have. Should be get African American. All that stuff. Like, just, just, just stop, stop, just stop it. I'm tired of hearing that. It, all of a sudden, this it's, year alone, it's the whole thing about the blackface. You know how we've been oh, portrayed oh, by white folks putting the blackface, but she's not white. <laughs> all, all, not of, white. all of a sudden, all of a sudden, this year alone. Everyone who has done something in the past that had something to do with race, that knowing some of them knew at the time it was, they was like, oh, I shouldn't have did it. All of a sudden, you want to come out and start shedding tears about it. Listen, it's already done. You can't. That door is closed. You can't open it again. It's done. It happened. Whether you knew it was bad for doing it or not, there's no need to bring it up now. It's over with. It's not you, like what's the end game? You said okay. it now. What? This okay, is you what cried. I want to know. You cried. Who cares? Yeah. She apologized. What now? What now? If the people still don't accept it, what are you going to do now? Well, not just apologize. What are you apologizing for? Like, right. What, what are you apo- for the black face? What are you apologizing for? For the prosthetic nose? Why? Dark, well, I mean, like I said, if you knew going into it it was wrong, why did you do it? That's number one. Number two. No one's really talking about this film. I can go back and forth with this. I can play both sides because it's weird. No one's really talking about the film. No one ever brought the film up. I don't know. Anybody see it, please call us. (laughs) Let us know what what are your intake of this film. Because neither one of us seen it. Kyle or I have seen it. Nor did we know that it came out. So if anybody's seen it, call us. Let us know what your intake on this. On her, I would like to hear that. On how she did her, her performance, just her performance. I don't care right. anything else. Her performance. She did. She did a good job. Then good. All right. She did a good job. If she did a lousy job, judge it on that, and that alone. That's it. Like whether or not she had to darken her skin or whatever. I I, I don't know. I, I don't know what the audition process was with the with the film. And who they tried out for, who they didn't try out for, I don't know. Like I said, as far as I know, it was to this very day till he, till I read that this week because he stole my article. I was going to read the same thing. I didn't know the damn thing was made. I didn't even know it was ever made. I just thought it was still in talk. I, I thought it was still in talk. I really did. I was like, damn, the movie never came out. Because every time I would see her, I thought about because we talked about it on this show years back. And I right. was like, what happened to Or about Mary J. Blige, the same thing. I was like, man, she blasted for me. And I was going to run across my mom. Like, hmm, they never made that. So I guess they did, and I guess it never really got a push. That's the key word. It never got its push back in 16. So what are you going to do? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It I don't definitely know. didn't come out in the movie theater, so it must have came out in one of the, you know, cable network, Showtime, HBO, whatever. I don't know. You know what I'm at? No, I don't know which one either. is, you know. It's not there mm. either. It's not there so. either. I got it went straight to DVD. I don't know. Do they still make DVDs? They're everything streaming now. It's not on Netflix. It's not on Amazon. 
Um, maybe maybe I try it on YouTube. Maybe I'll dig up on YouTube and pop up on YouTube or something. You know. Um, but yeah, we'll see. I don't know. I can't call it. I got to see performance more than anything. I want to see how she do. If she does a great job, then I'm like, man, she did pretty good. If she did a lousy job, then yeah, we all know what's going to happen. We know what's going to come after that. I will have no mercy. You hear it right I will here. have no mercy unleashing on her <laughs> if I can find the film. If I can find it. I'll try it on Netflix, see if it comes up. So who knows? But before we continue, before we go on, I want to say this. Also, you got to remember, when you're taking on anyone of an iconic level, a legend, a biography of someone, you have to prepare for all types of criticism, and you got to come with your A game because you can't come, you can't come half stepping and thinking that you're gonna get by with a little impersonation or whatever. You gotta, you gotta really come correct. You so. gotta become that person. You gotta become them, like how Jamie Foxx did with Ray Charles. He became Ray Charles, like Denzel with um, Malcolm X. He became that character. He became Malcolm X, you know, and so forth and so on with other, um, you know, great actors and actresses out there. You know, you got to do it. You got to study them. You got to study their movement. You got to study their mannerism. You got to do all of that. You got to become them. Mm -hmm. Now, Jamie got another, you know, a task on his hand of playing Mike Tyson. Yeah. <laughs> you know, coming film. So that's that's gonna be interesting. That's gonna be that's gonna be real good. I'm I'm looking I'm looking forward to that. speaking of um portraying someone legendary, I'm looking forward to that. Um in this in this situation which it might is good because Tyson is still around and Mm-hmm. Tyson is still relevant, and Tyson is hands on. So, i I think it's I think it's going to be good. It's going to be it's going to be accurate because from what I read about it, and from what Tyson said, he wants to show everything. He wants yeah. to show everything. Um, and that's and that's saying a lot because he's been through some shit. Like you know, hence why he's <laughs> back now and he's a, he's a brand new man. Mm-hmm. He wants to show show everything, and I think that I think when you do, in my opinion, you do an autobiography with someone who's still around, compared to someone who's no longer with us, you gotta leg up because at least that person is say like, no, make it accurate because that's their life. They lived it, and they could tell you like, no, I handled it this way. No, I was asshole this way. No, I did this person right. this way. No, I accomplished this way, and that's kind of cool. So with him around and him kind of just talking to Jamie and telling him the stories because if you seen Mike Tyson's one man show a couple of years back, he got some funny, deep stories, like hilarious. I'm sure like it'll you know, the seriousness of it will come through in this film and I think Jamie Foxx would do a good job um with this. Um he looks cut, he looks ready. And I think he'll do a great job. I really think the same way you know, people say, Oh, Jamie Foxx is Tyson, we'll look we'll look at uh Will Smith as Ali. He pulled it off. I didn't think yep. I, when I seen it, he I didn't it think about it, but he pulled it off. And I and the same thing with going back to him and playing Ray. Jimmy Fox playing Ray. So um, we'll see. But like I said, he got a leg up on everyone because Tyson is in his ear and he's kind of like, hey, this is how I did it, how I didn't do it, so forth and so on. So we'll like, see. You think doing right, Jamie? If you don't do it, I'm going to knock you out. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay. Oh. <laughs> okay. I'm going to knock you out, Jamie. Okay. You've been doing me right. Okay. All right. You, 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 do, you do know he's still actively fighting, right? You do know that. You do know he's still actively fighting. I ain't messing with that, hey, man. I, um, I, I challenge Mike Tyson. He come hit me. He can hit me anytime. I'll just have my lawyers ready. <laughs> now that you provoking him, the difference is provoking him. It ain't like he walk up and hit you. You provoking him. That's a whole different thing. You can do this. I actually yeah, met Tyson um, years ago. Years ago, when he lost his um, fight to Buster Douglas, I, um, I caught up with him in a club. I think it was the Octagon at the time. The dude was huge, uh, his, his huge, but he had all these women yeah. around him. All of them. Well, well, you know, hold that, hold that thought there. <laughs> hold on, that. Mm-hmm. We got a guest. Hey, this is Jeremiah Hosea of Narco Bourgeois. Hey, Hey, this is Jeremiah Hosea of Narco Bourgeois. I was recommended to call this number. Oh, it's my pleasure. You on the air? Um, Yeah, you got. You guys are talking about Buster Douglas. Uh, Uh, Tyson. We talking about Tyson. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we talking about Tyson. (laughs) You know, Jamie Foxx playing Mike Tyson. You know, in his next role. I think I might just be cracking up laughing the whole time. <laughs> and Mike's life was pretty serious. I don't know how we're going to get to the deeper points in Mike's life because it's going to be too comedic. I'll keep thinking of yeah. his living color. <laughs> he did do that. I forgot all about that. Actually, did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know, do man. I have so much respect for, for the person that Mike seems to have become. And Roy Jones right. seems like a really cool guy, and they're both great boxers. But man, I hope those guys don't don't injure themselves really bad. Mm. Well, uh, they that. they don't, you know, according to the rules, they don't want them to knock each other out. That's that's what's in the rules. It, they don't want them to go for a knockout, which that's going to be a difficult. What Kyle and I were talking about earlier in the show that that's going to be kind of hard for you know two warriors that's that's in the ring, they're trained to do this. You know, yeah, again, almost if you see impossible. Opening, you're going to go for it. <laughs> well, not just that, but, you know, like I'm, I'm a martial artist myself. And, um, yeah, you so know, I've been in, yeah, great. Well, you know, and I've been in some amateur competitions and, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. it's not a full contact event, but it pretty much becomes full contact as soon as one guy hits the other guy. Well, you have to hit him a little harder, so he has to hit you a little harder, right. and within seconds, it's full contact, and it just remains <clears throat> that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I know yeah. in my days yeah. of competing, you know, I got hit, you know, kicked in the head. <laughs> you know, I had the headgear on, but that was the hardest kick that I had, and that wasn't even supposed to have been full contact at the time. But when you're in that moment, you're going to go for it. It almost dropped yeah, me because I was dazed, but I definitely, you know, it's hard. You to know, hold got back, myself together you know. and won my match, but it's hard. Yeah, especially you know if it's a competition. Well, you mm-hmm. know, people aren't inclined to hold back. And then mm-hmm. in the case yeah. of this fight coming up, you add, you add the bright lights to that, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, and it's impossible to hold back. 
Right. Mm-hmm. It, it is. It is, especially when you're trained all your life to go full, you know, full contact, put everything into it, you know, and then you get mm-hmm. into a ring and they're telling you to hold back. It is difficult. Did you did you guys see that ridiculous um that ridiculous Floyd Mayweather match in Japan that was supposed to be an exhibition? No. no. I didn't know it was one. <laughs> oh, there was this crazy event that that he fought a Floyd Mayweather fought, I think he was I think he was a Japanese MMA fighter in what was supposed to be an mm-hmm. exhibition match and TKO mm-hmm. him in about a minute and 30 seconds. <laughs> I didn't see oh nothing God. about that. I didn't hear nothing about that. So I know. Yeah. Yeah. Look it up. It, it was a <laughs> crazy spectacle me. about, yeah. Yeah. Look it up about one year ago. It was a bizarre spectacle. And the first people thought, Oh, is it going to be Floyd Mayweather's MMA debut? And <laughs> You know, it turned out to be a quote-unquote boxing exhibition, but, of course, it's Mayweather against an unknown Japanese kid, so, of course, he has to put him away. Oh, my God. Right, you know, right. He didn't, he didn't <laughs> knock him out, but I guess they threw in the towel pretty quick. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. ridiculous. That's ridiculous. He must have bored. He has bored him. That's just straight boredom. We got nothing else to do with himself. But to go over there. Boy, it was, it was high-paid boredom. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it was it was a huge sum of money they paid. I think it was like a million dollars a minute type of thing. But then it wound up. I think it was like a seven million dollar. I don't know what it was, but it was like supposed to be a million dollars for the entire duration of the bout, which he got all oh. that money for only fighting for a minute and you know and thirty seconds or, or two minutes and thirty seconds or whatever it was. He mm. got his ten million dollars for this exhibition match in Japan, which was pretty bizarre. Yeah, it's worth looking up just because it was, was so it, bizarre. Right. It, it's yeah. like you don't need it. You don't need the money. What are you doing? Just, uh, yeah, I mean, you can never have enough money, really. The rich always want more. The yeah, rich the always thing, want more. Billion, I mean, I, you know, I don't think Floyd Mayweather is a billionaire. He's a multi mm. multi millionaire, but even if you have one mm. billion, well, then you want two. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and if I want two, then I want ten. I yeah. mean, it's kind of sad. That that's the, the way the world works, but that's just the way it goes. Right. You know, right, right. That's true. Uh, but we're going to turn our focus on you, Jeremiah. You're our guest of calling in. Much appreciated. So let our listeners know. About Jeremiah Hosea. Well, my name is Jeremiah Hosea. I'm a bass player and a vocalist and a producer from New York City. I currently live in Harlem, grew up mostly in Queens, and um, I'm a pretty experienced bass player at this point. I've been on the road with a lot of different bands. I've played all different styles of music. I've worked with some legends, and um, I've had a really diverse career. I played with uh, the disco legend Gloria Gaynor for a few years, playing I Will Survive, and uh, Mm -hmm. played for many years with uh, the legendary guitarist James Blood Ulmer, who's um, a jazz and a blues legend. I played with uh, Kirsch Kala, 
I don't know if any of the listeners might recognize the name Kirsch Kale, but he's a phenomenal drummer, percussionist. He's I call him the tabla beat master because he plays the Indian traditional drums, the tablas, but he does it over all this right. crazy electronic music production that he does. I played with um, Ichigayu Shababao, who's just known as Gigi in the Ethiopian community. She's like one of the biggest vocal icons um, to come out of Ethiopia and um, okay. legends of hip hop like Guru uh, Buckshot Shorty um, you know it's been an incredible career and uh, then at a certain point I started getting into singing a little bit I went from doing some background vocals to starting to really gravitate towards not just singing but the poetry that goes along with it and right. I started doing my own shows under the name Jeremiah Hosea, my own name, because previously people recognized me as the leader of Earth Driver. There's a mothership band that's mm-hmm. based out of New York here called Earth Driver. We're sort of a right. an artist, activist, all-star team in my mind. We're like the X-Men. A lot of our players <laughs> have done all kinds of world tours and been on all different kinds of mm-hmm. albums, and everybody has their own projects going on. But we converge periodically for, you know, one cause or another. We, we've raised money for earthquake victims in Haiti, for refugees from Sudan. We actually raise money for uh, prosthetic limbs. Uh, for children who were maimed in Sierra Leone. We've raised money for political prisoners. And in that sense, I guess that's one of the things I should have said, first of all, is I'm a movement artist. You know, that's actually kind of what's kept me performing because I'm a chess teacher as well. I mean, I do a lot of different things. I mentioned I'm a martial artist, but I'm actually, I'm a chess teacher. I've been teaching kids and, and adults, but mostly kids chess for many years now. And, um, you know, music, my music, whereas I used to be a full-time bass player, like doing, you know, five gigs with five different bands in a week type of thing, eventually I started becoming more of a full-time chess teacher and a part-time musician, but that also allowed me to focus a little bit more on my own art and, and producing, you know, my new sound and entering the next phase of my career. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's kind of crazy when COVID hit, I was about to perform in Club Bonafide, which I don't know if you guys know Richard Bona, but for Um, you or for anybody in the audience, yeah, Richard Bona is just, I mean, it it almost brings a tear to my eyes just to say the brother's name. I mean, he is the virtuoso of virtuosos on the electric bass. He's a jazz master from Cameroon. So he brings all that crazy African rhythm, but then he's just a jazz virtuoso to the hilt and an excellent vocalist too and band leader so i was about to perform in his club in new york city here club bonafide which i was gonna you know i was gonna be like a a full circle kind of you know me reaching the next octave kind of event the the beginning of the next chapter and then of course covid hit so my gig and everybody else's gig has been canceled so in the meantime, right. I'm just here in the trenches, continuing to get music produced. Um, I have this incredible vocalist named Militia. Um, she's a lead singer of a group called Swear on Your Life. And this uh, actually an all-female Judas Priest band called uh, Judas Priestess. But Militia, she's huh. a star. She's been in a lot of shows, and, and she's doing vocals on my next song. 
she's jo jumping in on the chorus with me. Um, so that will be my next single. I have four singles out that I encourage everybody to check out at jeremiahhosea.com. And um, there's going to be a fifth one up there soon featuring one of my favorite vocalists and just an awesome human being, Militia. You know, she's okay. one of the many unsung heroes of black rock in New York City. I performed mm. with Tamar Kali, speaking of unsung heroes. I can't believe I didn't mention on my list before. Tamar Kali is, you know, they call her the Geechee goddess of warrior hardcore soul. And um, she was featured in the Afropunk documentary years back. Um, she's been doing some award-winning soundtrack work recently, which I'm really proud of, um, you know, just to see her success. And, and, you know, she's just an incredibly versatile musician and artist. But, um, you know, there's an incredible black rock scene. I mean, I'm very much influenced by Living Color, Fishbone, and the right. whole culture and community of the Black Rock Coalition, which was started here in New York. And as a matter of fact, I can't believe I didn't mention um, the legendary Vernon Reed, the founder and leader of Living Color. He's featured on one of my songs that I just released called Cry and Won't Help. So, you know, Vernon is just, you know, he's just such an awesome human being. And some of the best gigs of my career have been with him. We played, actually, you know what's crazy? Mm -hmm. I played with Vernon a few months ago, and we did a live score for the silent Frankenstein movie, the original Frankenstein. So that was my last gig with Vernon Reed. But I've also had the honor of being on the stage with Vernon Reed and James Blood Ulmer at the same time because Vernon Reed produced three blues albums with James Blood Ulmer. And I got to play in that ensemble. So it's like, you know, I couldn't even believe it being on stage with two legends of that caliber and, and two, two legends, players yeah. who are highly unique, you know, just totally inimitable players. And that's one thing I'd say about my career. I've had the really, really good fortune of playing a lot of original music. I've never played in a cover band or a wedding band. And no disrespect to the people who do that because, you know, it's good work and it's mm -hmm. a great way to learn music. But I've always played original music. You know, I, if I ever played a cover tune, it was because one of the original artists that I worked with chose to to uh, you know play a particular cover in their own kind of way. But I've never just been in right. a top 40 band or anything like that. And in that oh. sense, I think my own music is kind of original and unique in that sense. Oh. Um, you know, like uh, my mentor, another one of my mentors, the, the bass God, Doug Windish, also bass player for Living Color, you know, he has mm. his album, Genre Unclassifiable, and I kind of mm. fall into the same category because there really are elements of this and that. I mean, I know a lot of people say that, but, uh, you know, one thing I set out to do at the beginning of my career is just to really take on music as a universal thing because I was a little right. bit of a late bloomer as a bass player, and I realized you know, it's too late for me to be the best at this or that. I'm going to have to be the best at being me somehow. And I wanted to put all the different flavors into the crucible. And in that sense, I mean, you know, I guess people nowadays, their listening habits have gotten more diverse. But my listening habits are as diverse as anybody you'll ever come across. I mean, I go through deep, deep phases of listening to all different kinds of genres from different parts of the world, you know, acoustic music, electronic music, um, you know, bebop 
to free jazz to hip-hop to all different genres of rock, from classic rock to heavy metal to electronic music to, you know, just all different kinds of phases. I went through my deep Malian music phase. I went through my deep Buena Vista social club phase, which led me to other mm-hmm. Cuban music. And um, in that sense, you know, music is music is for everybody, you know. Uh, as much mm-hmm. as I would like to get more of an opportunity to perform my music in front of you know, right. as large an audience as possible. At the same time, I'm kind of opposed to that concept. Yeah, it's going to happen. I'm, I, I do believe that. And, um, you know, I really at the same time, and I hope, you know what, it's funny, I, I hope I win an award one day where I could stand on one of those podiums and, well, and denounce award giving. That's always been a dream of mine, to go get an award to denounce everybody in the room. And say we have no business giving each other awards. Rich, privileged people. This is disgusting. <laughs> you know, like I said, I'm a... <laughs> I'm, I, you, know, you know what's sad, though? I'm a big Rage Against the Machine fan. And you remember when the bass player from Rage Against the Machine climbed up on the mm-hmm. stage to interrupt the music awards? And you know what was yeah. so sad about that? You know what he was protesting? He was protesting <laughs> them not winning the best video award. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's like, it's like, what's he up there for? Is this for the people of 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 East Timor? Is this for the people of Botswana? No, he's just mad they didn't get the award. <laughs> they didn't get the award. <laughs> you know, but it, right. you know, I would love to. I, I'm. I'm kind of, you know, that's actually what I believe in, too. I'm also a political pundit in my own right. You know, I have a lot of opinions on a lot of different things. And one of my biggest themes is, you know, we just need to listen to other people more and engage in more real community dialogue with your friends, with your family. Stop talking about Donald Trump. Stop talking about Kanye West and all these people. You know, I mean, obviously you can't completely ignore Donald Trump as a very powerful policymaker and so on, but you shouldn't be mentioning him more than you're mentioning your own art, for example. You know, you should be picking up your friends 10 times as much as you mention him. You know, but instead mm-hmm. people are ignoring their own friends and really positive things going on in their own community just to talk about these people when those people really aren't a part of your life in a practical everyday way. And actually a lot mm-hmm. of the people you might talk to in your community are pretty smart and have some really good ideas. You know, like we're getting into this new phase of kind of like a, a pseudo intellectualism where everybody's trying to act like they're some kind of scientist and they claim that their sources of information are so legitimate. But, you know, there's like, I don't know if you get into these arguments on Facebook or wherever. A term I keep hearing that people like to use is peer-reviewed, talking about peer-reviewed research that, you know, would validate someone's academic work. Well, you know, that's not really what makes the world go around. With all due respect to peer review, and I understand the significance of, of something being peer-reviewed, you can learn something from just overhearing conversation on the street from people who are not particularly educated people. They're just talking about well, something interesting, you know, so don't act like information and knowledge is only happening on this high end level in laboratories and universities and whatnot, you know, and it's funny, like my, my best friend or my oldest best friend who's a philosophy professor in Flint, Michigan. He said, well, you know, mm-hmm. there's also the fact that a lot of peer reviewed Research has led to misleading conclusions. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's and like you know, it's funny if people say they people I've I've argued with I'll share a good link from YouTube, and people say, oh, that's just YouTube. And when you say that, that's really ignorant because that's like saying to me, that's just a tape recorder. That's like, right. like, you know, they're the, some of the most credentialed academics in the world, their, their lectures happen mm-hmm. to appear on YouTube. Like, do you think if you go to a lecture on Monday and sit there and listen to a lecturer in a university, that that's a legitimate academic event? But if that exact same lecture is published mm-hmm. on YouTube the next day, that it's, it's garbage, it's, it's YouTube, it's fake. No, it's the same lecturer. It's the same credentialed (laughs) intellectual. And as a matter of fact, I asked my same PhD friend, because he's sort of my go-to about some of these academic matters. You know, I said, well, can you you cite YouTube like in an academic paper, for example? He's like, well, yeah, you can cite anything. (laughs) He's like, you just put the URL. (laughs) Right. (laughs) <laughs> you know, so it's just funny, all this pseudo-intellectual stuff that people are, are throwing at me, and it's like, again, back to the theme that got me on that whole tangent, it's just like, look, there's a lot of good folks in our community, and, and they have knowledge and experience, and we should stop being into this thing of, like, everyone has to be some kind of star or some, you know, mm-hmm. supposedly some star. Like, I'll take, for example, um, you know, a good brother who I have a lot of respect for, Cornell West. You know, I see mm-hmm. Cornell West in different mm-hmm. forums, and I'm a big fan of his. Um, you know, I've seen him speak live. I've met the brother a couple times. I think he's a good person, and he's inspirational to hear. But I would love to hear, and I hate to pick on him because this could apply to a lot of people. I would love to see him bring up some of the other black intellectuals, some of his students, you know, give other right. people an opportunity to speak. You know, does it always mm-hmm. have to be like Cornell West and Michael Moore speaking on behalf of the left or whatever, mm-hmm. like the same spokespeople, the same, you know, headliners or whatever, you know, the right. person you think is like the greatest artist, maybe one day their cousin could show up instead of them mm-hmm. and do a more exciting show. And you just never knew about mm-hmm. the cousin. No one did. <laughs> right. You know, there's just so much. You guys ever heard of this uh, documentary called? Throw down your heart. No, no, I haven't. There's a you know the the great banjo player Bella Fleck. You know, of course, I'm a bass player, so every bass player mm-hmm. is an is in awe of Victor Wooten, Victor Lamont Wooten, of the, mm-hmm. the Wooten family, a whole family of phenomenal musicians. But Victor Lamont Wooten is like again one of the all-time virtuosos of the electric bass. I mean, the guy sounds like he's four bass players playing at once. I mean, he's a total phenom of the bass. And he was, you know, kind of made famous originally through Bella Fleck and the Flecktones. And Bella Fleck, that banjo player, went to Africa to try to trace down the historical origins, like the anthropological origins of his instrument, of the banjo. And he went on this little... Mm -hmm throughout different African countries and jammed with different indigenous musicians. And I mean, the musicians in this documentary were like phenomenal. It's like, well, these are people, I mean, they got to Umu Sangare, who's somewhat, not somewhat, who's very famous and like, you know, very famous singer of the African diaspora. But other than Umu Sangare, no one else in that documentary was particularly famous. But everybody was just a blazing virtuoso. You know, right. what was the name again? Music. 
Throw Down Your Heart. Throw Down Your Heart. Okay, I'm going to look that up. But it's a great – I mean, you know what's funny, though, about the documentary is it claims to be in search of the – the historical origins of the banjo, but it really has nothing to do with that. I mean, from what I remember, it, he doesn't get into it that much. He just goes and just has these great jam sessions. <laughs> you know, right. like, I don't know what this particularly has to do with the banjo here and there and the other place. He's just jamming, <laughs> you know, but it's a lot of great music. <laughs> it's a lot of great music. Yeah, I mean, I'm, you know, and I hope we could get back to some music making soon, you know. I'm kind of like, I'm I'm kind of over the lockdown at this point, you know. Right. I mean, it, you know, it, and, and it really raises the question. It's kind of like, you know, a lot of people are just sitting tight. Like, put on your mask, stay at home. Everyone will be okay. Mm. Like, we'll we'll work this out. And my question is, though, for some people, it's like, if they were to tell you, if they were to tell us musicians, for example, live shows are too mm. dangerous. No, there's not going to be any more live shows. It's just live streaming on YouTube and Instagram. Everyone stay at home and be safe. Like, are we okay mm-hmm. with that forever? What? If they say you have to wear a mask for the rest of your life. No, there's, there was COVID, but now there's going to be COVID. The next generation, there's going to be COVID-20 and COVID-2021. Right. So. Right. I mean, you know, that's funny. That's all Corona. That's all COVID nineteen means. It's just coronavirus disease twenty nineteen. So right. they can tell. Even though it's mostly afflicted us in twenty twenty, it's it's COVID. Mm-hmm. You know, twenty nineteen is the date they reference. Mm-hmm. But they can just say, oh well, these diseases they're mutating. We don't know what to expect next. You know, now everybody has to always wear a mask, and that's just our new way of life. Right. And maybe they'll say after that. You have to wear just a bodysuit, and they'll start coming out with more and more precautions of everything you need to cover yourself with, and every health protocol, and you know. And people think that it's crazy to talk about, you know, to suggest mandatory vaccines, but it's already mandatory to, you know, to get vaccinated for your kid to go to school, which is a whole other mm-hmm. yep. debate and whatever. But I'm just saying, don't say that it's crazy to say that a vaccine would mm-hmm. be mandated because they are in a lot of instances, mm-hmm. right? You know? mm-hmm. So this is a whole lot you know, of stuff going on. It's a lot of health ahead, risks brother. with that, you know. It's a lot of health risks with that, you know. You're dealing with the COVID-19, um, and then they, you know, you mandated to wear the mask, you know, which is also um, unhealthy to, to to maintain for a long period of time. You know, breathing in your own carbon um, dioxide is not healthy, also. You yeah, know, can we talk can about that for a minute? Favor. Do we have time to talk about yeah. masks? <laughs> Okay, you know what I find really fascinating in this damn world that we live in is everybody's caught Mm -hmm. up in what one of my best friends calls this red coat versus blue coat mentality or, you know, Mm -hmm. what we would call just a bifurcated thought. Everything is in a bifurcation. It's this or that, A or B, Democrat, Republican, pro or anti. And I never find myself agreeing with A or B. I always find Mm -hmm. myself really perceiving my own view as just a third party option. So like, for example, with the mask discussion, you know, to me, there's two types of mask freaks. There's the mask freak who's like, you know, I ain't wearing no damn mask through you. I'm American, da, 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 da. And they're just going on this whole fit because they think it's so, uh, you know, such a violation of their freedom to wear a mask. Whereas to me, it's like, hey, there's a disease. We're trying to stop the spread of disease here. It's not about right. inc- 
thing on your particular freedom and so on. But then on the other hand, you have these people who think that they're being murdered if you're not wearing a mask 100 yards away from them on a beautiful summer day in the open air. It's like, hey, you know, mm-hmm. to me, that's a, that's all. This, so it's like two types of mask freaks. Like, it's funny. Mm-hmm. You know, this whole idea of some people say, oh, that's so stupid to say that the mask affects your breathing. Like, I've actually heard people say that. That's that's so silly that people say that. You can put on your mask and you can breathe fine. Well, I mean, you don't think putting something on your nostrils and on your mouth is at least affecting to some degree your proper oxygen intake? And then, of course, if the carbon dioxide can't fully exit and is kind of trapped in front of your face in the mask and you're inhaling your own carbon dioxide, well, that's not proper breathing. And would anybody no. argue that that is proper breathing if this wasn't a pandemic? Like if we weren't in a pandemic, mm-hmm. would someone say, oh, no, put a mask on your face? And that's the exact same breathing as without a mask on your face. Of course not. <laughs> you know, absolutely, of course not. You know, and it's like you have – you know what the thing is, though? Here's where people are getting stuck, though, and this is a big thing, right? The uh, – the, um, I don't want to missay his name, but the head immunologist in Sweden has been, has said openly that um, he doesn't support, or, you know, mandatory mask wearing. And they said, well, why why not? I saw him in an interview. Why why are you not mandating or at least recommending masks? And he said, well, because the evidence it's been researched fairly you know fairly extensively at this point, and. There's very, the evidence supporting mask wearing in society, and that's the underlying phrase, in society is very weak. So like what people are doing, and I understand the argument, I understand the presentation, I'm not negating it, but people, you know, they've highlighted using a mask in a controlled environment. And I get that. Okay, you sneeze, and instead of sneezing on me, it's inside your mask. But that's in a controlled environment, a sterilized environment where you you throw out a used mask and so on and so forth. Here you have people reusing their mask, going from environment, one environment to another. You could have your contaminated mask and take that to several environments and contaminate those environments with your filthy mask that you think is is for your health. (laughs) So there's just a lot. A little feet. You just you just can't make a one to one comparison between wearing a mask in a controlled setting and wearing masks in society. You know, but the whole thing has been such a, a trip. I mean, in terms of this this whole COVID phenomenon and everything that's gone on uh-huh. these past several months. And one thing that blows me away. Again, there's A and then there's B. A is this is the mainstream point of view. This is the truth. If you don't believe these things, you're crazy. If you say things outside of this, you're crazy. And then you have B, the conspiracy theorist, the person, you know, saying all this stuff is hard to believe, you know, insert your favorite conspiracy. But then there's a third point which I'd like to make, which is there's just a lot of interesting people, a lot of doctors I've seen. I've been listening to a lot of doctors and medical professionals and scientists of different kinds just saying all kinds of fascinating stuff that's just, for whatever reason, just not being presented, not being discussed in the mainstream. And they're not talking about Illuminati or any kind of thing like that, just medical data, interesting information, interesting research, interesting hypotheses. 
and you just don't hear it. You have to like really seek out that information. And like for example, the, the top immunologists in Sweden saying that there's there's just the evidence for supporting mask wearing in society is weak. He's not a Trump supporter. He's not part of some mm-hmm. ideological movement. He's a scientist. You could tell me I'm a I'm a jerk or I'm this or that if I question mask use, but you're not credentialed enough to, to offhand dismiss what the top immunologist in Sweden says. And he's outside of your whole like left coat versus blue coat paradigm. You know? So it's just it's just kinda interesting, like this whole notion of what is official and what people think is legitimate. Right. right. You know? You know, I mean, like, there's just so much, you know, it's, and you know what's funny? Like, the whole notion of a conspiracy theory. Like, let's talk about that for two seconds, which is, like, you know, there's this derisive term now to call someone, you know, a conspiracy theorist. Oh, it's just another conspiracy theorist. And my thing is, look, I don't believe every conspiracy theory I hear, and I'm actually pretty skeptical by nature. I mean, if I can't really visualize something in my head and if I can't substantiate something, I'm not inclined to believe fantastic things. But what drives me crazy is that in saying someone's a conspiracy theorist to insult them and making conspiracy theory equals false, you're trying to do something which is a foolish thing to do, in my opinion, which is negate the functional definition of the word conspiracy, which is a part of everyday life and is a part of human behavior. People conspire all the time, and it's not always particularly fancy. If two guys say, look at that guy over there, let's go steal his watch, well, they conspired to do so. Is that not a conspiracy? Like, let's take, for example, 9-11, the ultimate conspiracy theory issue that people associate with conspiracy theory. The craziest thing you could say in the world about 9-11 is that it wasn't a conspiracy. Because if it wasn't a conspiracy, then the hijackers, whoever did it spontaneously, woke up that day and all had the same thought to do that. That would be a cosmic Right. No, they conspired. They planned and they did it. You know, even look at the transatlantic slave trade that brought Africans to this hemisphere. I'm sorry to say, like, Europeans conspired to kidnap Africans, and they did so. And that's why there's black people in New York and Detroit and Atlanta and elsewhere, because of as a result of a conspiracy. So it's like, no, don't go believing every ridiculous conspiracy theory that's presented to you, but don't do an equally or more stupid thing, which is try to negate the functional definition of the word conspiracy. You know, and I almost have more respect at this point for people who believe fantastic things. I mean, I don't endorse people just believing ridiculous things and not, you know, investigating a little further. But I almost have more respect for some of these people presenting whacked out conspiracy theories than the people who are trying to present this sort of mainstream legitimacy. Because it's not legitimate. And And they're pretending that it is. It's kind of what I call like this New York Times, CNN kind of point of view. Well, the New York Times said this. Well, you know what? That's a bunch of garbage. You know, the New York Times has printed a lot of garbage. You know. And so is every other major news outlet. We were about oh, to yeah, definitely. I think it's a little delayed, but I'm sorry to interrupt you. Radio. Oh, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's always the exception to the rule. <laughs> 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 but, um, 
<laughs> so um, let's get back to love is the highest truth. What came about yes. you? Did you wrote that, right? Yes, I wrote that song. Yes. That song so, is it's it it's just um you know I don't know it came about just very innocently. A lot of the songs that that I write, I, I just kind of don't know where it comes from. It just kind of just kind of flows right through me. And I just heard this simple chord change and this little melody. And, you know, it's a song, it's, it's a universal love song in the sense that it's not particularly about romantic love, but it could reference that as well. But it's just about all the people in your life who love you, the people who, who have held you down, the people who you consider right. your friends and family, and just honoring that and valuing that and realizing it's a special thing. And, you know, it's kind of a nice song. It's funny. I think when I came out with that song, some people just really loved it because it's positive, and some people, you know, they loved it in, in different ways for different reasons. And I could tell that some people, they might have thought, like, damn, why is this guy making just this nice song like they might identify me as more of a rocker or more of a funk you know funk rocker or whatever but you know that song is right is a very very honest expression and um there's a lot of great singers on there like i do all the lead vocals but i have a nice little vocal chorale supporting me on the chorus and then um you know like a, a chorale vocal sort of effect and i have um I have some wonderful musicians. I have Ryan Waters, who's Sade's lead guitar player, playing just this mm -hmm. like epigrammatic 32-bar solo to take the song out before the last chorus. I have um, Jerome Jordan, is a guitar player who's done most of the narco, actually he's done all of the narco bourgeois shows. Like we we go back, he plays with Earth Driver, we play in Tamar Kali together. He's on, so it's like two dynamite guitar players, Sandro Tomasi on trombone, uh, dynamite Argentine trombonist. Um, uh, Dave Mullins, a great saxophone, playing some baritone sax, which I wish I could have pulled up in the mix a little bit more, but there was just so much in the mix. It was like, it's hard to find space. And we just, you know, we had to find that balance with everything. But there's, oh, Kiara Fossey. Right. Kiara Fossey is also on my new song called Way With Words, which I love for the audience to check out. It's all at jeremiahhosea.com. But Kiara Fossey is a family friend, a very close friend of my wife, and just a phenomenal uh, electric violinist you know another one of just the unsung heroes of the music scene i mean you, you've seen her on television backing up this artist or that artist she's played on saturday night live or jimmy fallon show and all that kind of stuff but mm -hmm. she's also a phenomenal band leader in her own right you know a lot of these musicians who are backing up other artists they they've written better songs than 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 the lead singer. They sing better than the lead mm -hmm. singer half the time. Like there's mm -hmm. just so many phenomenal artists out there whose music isn't really hearing the light of day. And it would be great if we could just kind of break down some of those walls and just make people or help or help people, I should say, realize that music is for everybody. You know, mm -hmm. and that's a dream of mine yeah. as well. Is that I love bringing musicians together. I mean, that's. That's one thing that I think is really special about Love's the Highest Truth, and I think it's really special about the, the new body of music that I'm creating, is it just brings a really incredible 
um, lineup of artists together. I mean, like there's some really some heads on my song. Like every song that I put out, I have four singles. And like I said, there's a fifth one on the way. Each and every song features like some really tasty players and well-credentialed players. You know, there's no hucklebucks on these tracks. These are like all, mm. all stars and all virtuosos in their own right. Like I, I really believe every musician on my, on my songs is worth the price of admission. And, you know, it's like I hope people like my voice. And I hope people like my writing. And I hope people like the vibe. But I'd also like to just invite people to just, just check out music that was made by real musicians. Like people came in and mm. played from the heart, you know. And I think there's something mm. to really be said for that, too, you know. Because music and, is so uh, image-driven nowadays. It's like you kind of have to remind people, hey, just listen. Yeah. Don't. What were you going to say, brother? No, I was saying that um, that's something that Kyle and I always supported, you know, mm-hmm. live musician, live band. It's just, mm-hmm. You know, you get a different feeling. You get a different, um, you know, sense of music, you know, because there's so many artists out there now, they abandon mm-hmm. that. They abandon that and they use the machines, you know, not to, right. you know, knock that also, <laughs> but I get a different right. feeling from a live band. Yeah, I, you know what, and that's my, mm-hmm. actually, that's my favorite style of production. What you're talking about mm-hmm. right there is, for me, a dream come true is when we can get cats together to work on my album or a friend's album or a body of material or a new third-party project we're all putting together. If you can get players who have rehearsed music, maybe even perform the music live to go into a studio and track live to me that's mm-hmm. where it's at like when you get everybody who knows the music so well they can play down the arrangement and everybody in the band can deliver a tight live take and then you have you have that whole body of music and you can just add on to it you can add your overdubs and your vocals but it's built on something that was live and executed by pros you know like that to me is you know that to me is more exciting than overdubbing every part you know which can be done Mm -hmm. very well also you know sometimes you have to go about it like that depending on how a track came about so there's a lot of cool music where hey maybe someone started with a beat and someone else dropped a part and somebody else emailed their part you know and so on and so forth it's not to knock that style of production but there's something really rewarding to me of getting the live feel as the basis for what you're doing in the studio, you know, but then of course live itself. I love the studio. I really do love the magic of the studio. I love, you know, performing and executing in the studio, but live is the apex, you know, Jimi Hendrix and Woodstock, you know, it's like, yeah, it's like to be able to move the souls, you know, to seize us, it was an incredible experience performing, for example, with Gigi, the Ethiopian singer I mentioned. We performed, I remember, in um, in Lafayette, Louisiana, and we were headlining, or she was headlining, this international music festival they have there. And it's like people are just grooving all day. There's just bands playing on 30 different stages all day long. And everybody came out to see Gigi, the headliner, at 8 p.m., and, you know, just to see all those faces and they're just looking up mm-hmm. in such awe 
and they're going to listen to this woman sing, and they're so captivated, and they're so inspired, and they don't understand the words she's saying. She's speaking in Amharic, and mm-hmm. almost all of that audience, if the probably the entire audience, they don't speak a word of Amharic, but they know there's something special. They know there's something that's connecting us as human beings. You know, they know right. that they're supposed to be there in that moment. And, you know, I really do have that kind of spiritual attitude about music. I mean, I'm not a religious person in any particular way. I just carry my own sort of spiritual concept, you know, within me. But, you know, there right. is there is that that unifying force. There is this strange kind of telepathic thing that connects us all as human beings. And I'm a big fan of the, uh, you know, the, the band leader, the some would call him a cult leader, Sun Ra. And, you know, Sun Ra said, and I agree with him, he's like, the the music that you create goes straight to the throne of the creator of the universe. Mm. And that is how you will be perceived by the creator. So I think you should be a little bit careful about just putting out a bunch of negative stuff in their music or just thinking you could just say whatever, because I think it can be dangerous. You know, like it's interesting, one of my other heroes, Anthony Braxton, the great saxophonist, multi-instrumentalist, you know, he's he's one of my heroes, he's a brilliant professor at Wesleyan University. And it's so interesting because people question him about his music. Some people love his music and some people think he's crazy because he has all these notes and all these crazy diagrams and stuff. And a lot of his music is very experimental. So people have criticized his music interesting because his music isn't lyrical at all but he keeps reiterating I don't mean to hurt anybody like I'm sorry if you did not enjoy my music but I did not intend to hurt anybody <laughs> you know and I find that such an amazing thing to say because he's not even saying any lyrics it's just the notion that the vibrations themselves can be helpful or harmful right cool um, this is Jeremiah Again, yes, where brother. can all the, all the websites? Where can everybody catch you? Well, yeah, you well, normally we we will ask people about oh when you next performing, but we know what's going on. So yeah, next yeah, session, exactly. Where can we get to? Cause yeah. we, we're going to play one of your tracks in a few minutes, but where can they catch all the great music and and so forth? That yeah, you say, all the websites. Well, let me, let me tell you about two websites really quick. First. There's my website, jeremiahhosea.com. So that's J-E-R-E-M-I-A-H-H-O-S-E-A.com. Jeremiah Hosea with two H's in the middle.com. So I really appreciate it. If anybody just takes the time to listen to to the music. There's, like I said, four new singles, all with awesome players on it, all original stuff. And um, there's a, a nice little discography of the albums I've co-produced below that. So please check out that mm-hmm. stuff too. And there's a contact there too. So, you know, if you're a producer and you need bass, please hit me up. I'm a, I'm a session master. I've played on a, on a Grammy nominated recording played and uh, produced an Emmy nominated recording, um, you know, been on, you know, like I said, on the road with a dozen different bands, played every genre. So if you're a producer and you need bass, if you're a filmmaker and you need 
music for your films, for your documentaries, please contact me. If you just heard this interview and want to say what's up, like, please, I, I really love just people being in contact and, and little sparks and little connections happening. So you can also hit me up, which is, you know, there's a link at the site, jeremiahhosea.com, which will send you to my jeremiahhosea at Gmail. But I also want to mention, I know it's a lot to write down and all that stuff, but if you can remember, please also check out earthdriver.org, E-A-R-T-H-D-R-I-V-E-R, Earthdriver. That's the mothership band I mentioned earlier that became the record label earthdriver.org so there's my music there but then there's a bunch of other really funky independent music there of different genres we have an incredible doug wimbish album up there we have albums by the by the rocket soul band moon boot lover we have this incredible trio out of philadelphia called phantasm we have the neo soul legend olu there's a lot of great music up there so um, please check that out, earthdriver.org, jeremiahhosea.com. And, um, yeah, I'd love to be in touch with anybody who's out there. If you have an event, a, a benefit concert, like I said, that's what's kept me in the game over the past several years is people ask me to do benefits. And because I'm a movement artist, if I can make it, I will be there. I'll bring a band if we can arrange for that. And if not, I'll bring my acoustic bass guitar and we'll do it like that. But uh, right. I really want to be in right. touch right. with all the positive people, all you know, because there, there was a movement back in the day, you know, and there, there still is a movement. But we have to remember that, you know, and it's like Brother Gil Scott Heron said, the revolution will not be televised like we have to engage in our communities, in our own families mm-hmm. and not get caught in the trap of social media. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, yeah, and we want to say thank you to you, brother. So anytime you want to come back on the show, chop it up or whatever, you want to welcome um, here on NYPA Entertainment Radio. We appreciate you taking the time out to calling in, enlightening our listeners on a lot of different things, different topics, and appreciate it. Anytime, Jeremiah, you want to welcome, come back on the show. Oh, it, it's been an honor and a pleasure. You guys are you guys are doing a great job, and I, I can't wait to talk with you guys again. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much, Jeremiah. Jeremiah, I'll say thank you, brother. We'll talk to you thank, soon. Thank man. you, brothers. Yes, talk to you soon. Have well, a great Sunday. You, you do too. the same. Right. Peace. 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 All right, the musician Jeremiah Hosea. Uh, what we're going to do? We're going to wrap things up because we're having such a good time. Time flew by, but as I always do, we step away, you stay. I got the music. In fact, I'm playing his track to end the show. We do the shout-outs. We'll be back up live next week, 5 to 7 p.m., right here on NYPA Entertainment Radio. So let's do the shout-outs. Yeah, definitely. Shout-out to Jeremiah Hotel for calling us, um, gracing us with, um, you know, his music, um, his knowledge. Um, shout-out to Kyle, Philly, New York. Shout-out to everybody who continue to listen to us, who continue to follow us um, here each and every Sunday from – 5 to 7 p.m. Um, you know, we're definitely grateful to you. Continue listening to us. Um, um, comment. Um, hit us up on our email, NYPA Entertainment, spelled out at gmail.com. Uh, definitely. Uh, shout out to Jeremiah Osea, Hana of Hana Associates, 
uh, New York, Philly, everybody uh, supporting us. Uh, remember, share, comment, um, download we, on 11 different platforms. You can listen to us live here on Blog Talk or just any other platform between Apple, Anchor, Google, Spotify, Breaker, Radio Public, Stitcher, CastBox, Pocket Cast, Overcast, and, of course, Alexa. Um, stay safe. We'll see you next week um, right here on NYPN Tim Radio. Um, like I said, we're stepping away. Stick around because I'm playing Jeremiah Hosea's uh, track, Love is the Highest Truth, and just enjoy that, and we'll see you next week here on the People's Podcast, celebrating 10 years in September, NYPA Entertainment Radio.
step, fresh off the steps in the summer heat. Blessed to be amongst the vets, just a younger me. Mark next, Adidas sweats, Lee's dungarees, BBD under T's. Shit, I hung with G's, everybody repping they P's. Speaking slang to the gods, all connected degrees. Seeking change, some puffin' weed, no ease. Some sneaking cane, and that crack hit the map, it's a rap, the beeper came. Crews started forming and clicks, they running blocks on a strip. When a live nigga flip, you wanna watch. It's bugs, seen the doctors, scrubs, come and cop the love of drugs. Finally found me a plug to run a spot. Switch gears, fucking with peers, they out of town. Packed up, blue for a year without a sound. Came back, reappeared, it's going down. And what I seen was a whole lot of kings that lost their crown. Smoked out, others was dead, some in the feds. It broke out, cold bed, the plague spread. Zombies in the streets on the creek, they wanna hit. Homies over beef, it was deep, that summer shit. But Nivio's spreading his sections, a lot of sexing. Imperial Moet repping a lot of weapons. Jews on niggas' necks, they want wreck. Big body pins on deck, who wanna flex? Feeling like a killer inside, my soul died to the gun. Wise open my eyes, woke up. P7, this ain't right and exact. You falling victim to that devil's man, God. We supposed to build, not destroy. We true and living. Don't add on to the genocide, D.O.D. Get back on your square. That's what I did. Raise on niggas' cribs, they killing kids. The system wasn't letting them live, they gave bids. Life on back of they numbers, 20 summers. I'm just now seeing some niggas since I was younger. Flat top, I shot mine in 89. Had props, I got knocked for baby time. Still straight, whole body laced with crazy shines. Then my ace got shot in the face, that made me rhyme. Money drying up in the streets, I took a seat. Stop riding dirty in jeeps and bold beats. Reality rap shit sick. I found the niche, 9-4 came with likes of bitch. <laughs> 